0: Okay, everyone. So we are getting ready for a perm.
1: There's nothing better than like wanting to give a share on some kind and be totally frazzled. (laughs) Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing to be off kilter. I had a conversation with a friend this week. We talked about being stuck versus being like off kilter. And we were comparing and contrasting. Like sometimes it's a good thing to just feel stuck, right? It's just that numbness of like things are just blah, as opposed to like, when you open yourself up and you start to like, look at your kishkas and and life just starts to, and then you get like really off well kilter. It's like, you start therapy again. And you're just like, so Toba's making a face. Like she has no idea what I'm talking about. Like the difference between feeling feeling like there's things that are cooking inside of you, but it's like put, puts you off, you're a little off versus like just being totally numb and dead and stuck. So it's probably better to be off-kilter than it is to be dead inside. Um, but needless to say, let's jump into this. We're gonna, we're gonna we'll do some some like Mara McComas and then some stuff outside. And then maybe after the recording, I'm gonna ask some questions and we'll, we'll do that as a discussion. All right, Forum 2022. We're gonna start off with the Gemara. Many of us have learned this Gemara, have heard this Gemara, have heard Shiram on this Gemara. Hopefully tonight we'll do something maybe that might be slightly different than what the, the basic Shiram are. The Gemara teaches us <coughs> the Gemara on Shabbos, peiches Samaral. The Gemara says, based on a Pesach, ba'isiyatzebu that we gathered at the bottom, at the foot of our Sinai, when we wanted to receive the Torah, ba'isiyatzebu b'tachat Sahar says Rebavdimi, the son of Chama, the son of Chasa. Melamed, we learn from these words, we learn from these words that Hashem lifted up the mountain of Har Sinai, held it over their heads like a big barrel. And he said to the Jewish people, If you're going to receive the Torah, great. And if you don't receive the Torah, I'm going to bury you right here. And that's it. The whole project of of Adam and M'su Mesushal, Shalach and Chanoich and Noach and Shem the Ever and Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov and the Shvatim and Roy Rebbeinu and Yitzchitz Mitzrayim, all of that is all going to go out the window. The whole project called Klal Yisrael is going to go out the window. If you receive the Torah. If you don't, if you, if you receive the Torah, then not. So Amr Rabbach Bar Yaakov So now you see, he says, that there's something, there's some taina, there's some complaint, there's some way, in some way, the Torah is not wholesome. The giving of the Torah wasn't wholesome, the receiving of the Torah wasn't wholesome. There's room to complain, there's room to reject the Torah. Amarava, Sarava responded and said, even so, even if that's true, the Jewish people... We returned and received. We re received the Torah in the days of Achashverus. The Chizib, like it says, "Kimu v'kiblu Kimu It says in the Megillah that the Jewish people received, they they maintained and they received. So he makes a drasha: "Kimu We we received that which we had received before. That's what the Gemara says. And there's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hundreds of different mefarshim and Drushas to explain what this means, how this fits in. And for the most part, the general way of looking at this is that um, even if you can turn around and say that there was, that we received the Torah at the beginning because we were forced, somehow we also received the Torah again ahava, and everything is fine and beautiful. And that way the Torah is safe and, and Jewish life is safe. I wanted to suggest, maybe it's not so radical, but I wanted to suggest the uh, what this uh, double receiving of the Torah is, that it it and really essentially the entire story of Purim, the significance of that for our lives, and talk about that in real time today here. And in order to do that, there's nothing better than saying something simply in a very fancy way. So let's let's learn something. Fancy for a minute, let's read something fancy. Paul Ricourt was a French philosopher. Um, he, was a, he was a Catholic and um, he wrote these like very thick books, very dense thick books on philosophy. Somewhere in the midst of a book that he wrote on evil, he discussed religion, he discussed the stages of what's called religious development or spiritual development in his words. And he introduced the concept in the early uh, 20th century that had not really been fleshed out. Well, he fleshed it out pretty well of what's called the first naivete and the second naivete. He, I mean, it's, it's, I might have spoken about this a little bit at the Nefesh conference. I don't, I don't remember if I did. But either way, it probably not then. Okay, maybe I did. It sounds familiar. Okay, maybe I did. I don't remember. Paul Ricoeur and the first naivete, critical distance, and the second naivete. And it goes basically something like this. The first encounter that people have with religion, the first encounter that people have with religion, is to understand religion in its very literal sense. The Torah tells you, I understand that God spoke to Moshe. In the beginning, Hashem created heaven and earth. Okay, there was a beginning, and there was a heaven, and there was an earth. It took six days to create, okay, six days to create. Um, If the Torah says to do like this, then you do like that. If the Torah says don't do like that, you don't do like that. Everything that says in the Torah, we take in a very literal sense. That's the way children receive information. That's the way children think very concretely, very practically, and, um, and very literally. And even if we can tune in somewhere somehow to the spirituality and the, the hidden world, but the first naivete that he addresses is to experience everything in the most literal possible meaning. And the problem for that is that when you, when you experience religion, really when you experience anything, but when you, especially, especially religion, when you experience religion in its most literal sense, It opens the door to fundamentalism. And to fundamentalism, fundamentalism essentially is an extreme view that really leaves the the realms of any kind of common sense, leaves the realms of anything that's rational, certainly doesn't allow for anything spiritual, and um, essentially does more harm than it does good. Or at the very least does enough harm that it can threaten to cancel out the good. The first naivete in the work of, of Ricoeur is to, is to say to us, is the recognition that if your literal translation of, the, of, of religion is the same way that you are introduced to it, is the same way that you keep going with it, so you have the possibility of ending up as a fundamentalist or, or you have, the, you have the, the capacity to simply reject. Or reject it, it doesn't make sense, it's childish. If you think that the stories that uh, you heard when you were in third grade are the same stories that you hear now in your mid-20s, and you, you hear the same stories, so it's, it's childish. You know, I, Bar Hashem, have, have read books to my kids, and it's, like, all exciting to them. The books that I read when I was a little kid, and it's like, okay, it's a nice story, but, like, it doesn't resonate much. If my conception of religion remains stuck in the first naivete, if it remains stuck in the first way that I was introduced to religion, then I have the capacity to either end up uh, as a fundamentalist or I have the capacity to to end up rejecting it. Now, the rejection of it, by the way, does not have to mean that I become an atheist. The rejection of it can mean that I remain religious my whole life, but that it essentially is a hollow it's a hollow experience, entire, entirely hollow experience because there's no personal connection to it. Then comes what he calls the stage of critical distance. And that is the capacity to take a step back, look at religion, look at, in our, in our discussion, to look at Yiddishkeit from a distance, to be able to analyze, think about, to rationalize, try to understand what's happening, look for something deeper. And eventually get to a stage of what he calls the second naivete. I wrote some.
0: I, I cut and paste from a website where where I read a lot of this stuff. Um, we'll read some of these. Uh, you can read. You could read all of this on your own. But he says after the
1: critical distance phase, there is a way to engage faith in what he calls what Ricoeur calls a second naivete way. Beyond the desert of criticism, we wish to be called again. In this second naivete, scripture and religious concepts are seen as symbols or metaphorical constructs that we now interpret in the full responsibility of autonomous thought. This means that we accept that the myths we held as truth in the first naivete are in fact myths, but having passed through the critical distance, we begin to re-engage these concepts at a different level. We no longer accept them at face value, as presented by religious authorities, but rather interpret them for ourselves in the light of having assumed personal responsibility for our beliefs. We move toward our own interpretation that recognizes these concepts as symbols of something greater than that which the words or teachings imply in the literal sense. In other words, to reach the stage of the second naivete, to reach the stage of What Ricor is basically saying, mature religious involvement, mature mature religious engagement. To reach that stage, we have to reevaluate what we've been taught and what we've accepted from authority figures. That's number one. Number two, we have to rethink the question of literalism versus, if you will, mysticism. Either the words are just meant to be interpreted literally and they mean nothing more than the literal words, or there's something more meaningful, there's something more deep, there's something more uh, personal. And the key word and why I wanna introduce this topic here is because the key word here is the word autonomy. In the full responsibility of autonomous thought, we, we now interpret in the full responsibility of autonomous thought. That means that every one of us becomes a person who with our own agency, with our own autonomy, with our own thinking, we start to be critical, not critically negative, but critical means as, as, as an assessor, we start to critically think about what it is we, we're learning, what it is we hear about, what, what is going on, what <clears throat> does any of this mean? And how much of this do makes
0: sense to me and how much of it do I, does not make sense to me? To go back to the first source, the Torah was given to us at our Sinai
1: and the Rav held the mountain over our heads and he said, if you're going to receive the Torah, great. If you're not going to receive the Torah, I'm going to bury you right here. So what do you think we did? We received the Torah. Fine, no problem. That is the first stage of receiving the Torah is what we can call Kabbalah al-Mah Hashanah. From what the Rav says, take it. He doesn't really give us a choice. We took it. We took it in a way of being forced. Which, for whatever reason, Hashem said we had to do that, we did that. And for whatever reason, the Jewish people agreed to accept that, we did that. We accepted the Torah out of force. I think last year we, we talked about the difference between matan Torah, that's the giving of the Torah, and on Purim, the kabbalah satayra, the receiving of the Torah. So we're going to extend that idea a little bit, a little bit further. The giving of Torah is what Rakor is calling, I mean, I'm putting these two things together, as the first naivete. The authority of Hashem, the authority of the word of Torah, the authority of Maishar Benu, the authority of all the leaders and all the rabbis, the authority tells me, this is how reality is.
0: And my job is to simply follow its rules. That's it. That's Kabbalah Saterah. But then comes Purim. And Purim sticks out beyond any other yantiv sticks
1: out because perm is about a second naivete. Purim is about growing up. Perm is about making it to a stage in my religious life where I stop looking at things with a literal view. I stop fundamentalism. I stop deadness. And I look through my own autonomous lens at what the heck is going on. What is going on? What does this mean? What does this have to do with me? In what way am I connecting to this? What, what do I think about this? In what way am I living my life in, 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 um, in rhythm with this? In what way my zone is connected to Hashem's zone? What the heck is going on? So again, he, he talks about the stage of critical distance where you think about these things. But sec, the second naivete is after I've done all of that work of thinking and analyzing, and critic, <clears throat> being critical of and judgmental of and taking a real hard look at what religion means to me, I go back to the Torah and I go back to Hashem and I say to Hashem, I'm going to receive the Torah
0: my way. I'm now going to receive the Torah my way. I am
1: re-receiving and re-maintaining and recommitting to the Torah through my way, doing it my way, through autonomy. That what, that's the basic framework of understanding what this Gemara means. That first there was a Kabbalah, satira, that I was Maccabal because Hashem told me I needed to, needed to be Maccabal through force. And the second, it's the whole godless of, of Purim, the whole story of Purim is I am now re receiving the Torah on my terms. Now, this is scary especially for those of us that are raised from this is scary because the idea of reconsidering that, which is on a very cellular level, that which has been put into my soul, especially, especially the way that we're, we're, we're raised, where everything we're, we're given so much to think about. We're giving, we're given so much to do and so much to know and think the idea that we should take any kind of critical distance to stop and think about, individuating ourselves and becoming an autonomous human being on our own right sounds very antithetical to everything that we've been taught. And so it's dangerous, yes, but we still have to go through it. We still have to go through a period of adolescence, of critical distance, of thinking through and trying to figure out what does this all mean to me and get to a perm and get to a stage where within my life, I can connect to Hashem my way. Whether it's my Hashkafic way, whether it's my, my understanding of Halacha, whether it's my understanding of Amuna, whether it's my relationship with Dvaekas and Hashem, whether it's my musr, whatever it is, I have to not just make it mine, I have to make it different than the way I was raised. I have to come to this through a stage of, of my own individuality, my own autonomy as an adult. It can't just be. That I remain in the first stage of Matan Taira. I must get to a darga of Kimu Mashakib Kfar. I have to re-dedicate myself and
0: reconnect to Taira in a way that's my way. If I don't, then I'm not having Torah. If I don't, then I'm not having Torah. A teacher of mine said, and, and uh, said said to me this week,
1: individuality is. It's just such a beautiful line. He said individuality is when the light of Hashem is filtered through my soul and then is projected out into the world. Right? The colors that and the image that gets projected into the world through Hashem's light being shown through my soul. The Dafka, my soul, the Dafka, my soul, my soul, not yours. Your soul has your own image, right? Everyone has their own, their own um, their own image, their own avatar, so to speak. When Hashem shines through me, through me as an individual, when Hashem shines through me, when I do it my way, when I'm living my life as an as a fully autonomous adult, and I'm connected to Hashem and Torah and Mitzvahs in that way, then everything looks different than the way I was raised. The way I was raised, the first, my first encounter with Hashem, the first encounter of Kabbalah Smayim is through force, through Kafalay and Harkagigas. You must do this. You must get branded. You must have a stamp that's, that's stamped in to into whatever, whatever it is, into your bones that says this is how you do it. But then you must go back and re-educate and recommit and in a certain way reject completely everything that you had
0: stamped on your heart and find a whole new way of doing it. Find a whole new way of doing it. Somebody, uh, a colleague of mine was sharing about, about a case and um,
1: she, she blurred the details and then I'll blur the details even further of a, um, a client of hers who was a, a married woman in her, in her 40s who was born in a Beysiakov setting.
0: Um, and she said that she finally got to a stage in her life where she just,
1: decided that she's going to turn lights on on Shabbos. That's it. She's turning lights on on Shabbos. Why? She said she can't walk around with the pressure that she has on herself, that she has to not be Machal Shabbos, because otherwise Hashem is going to reject her. She said, "I I just can't believe that Hashem really cares about me turning the light on or off on Shabbos. I can't. I have to turn the light on on Shabbos. And she's telling this to her therapist and the therapist is in my group, my group supervision. So she was sharing this and we were all kind of discussing this this question about like, A, as a therapist, and also hashkafically, like how do you respond to that? Hashem doesn't really care whether I turn the light on or off on Shabbos. So so this is my thought. I'll just share with you my thought. So I said to her, she's right. She's a hundred percent correct. One million percent. She's correct. She's right. Hashem does not care whether or not she turns the light on or off on Shabbos. He really
0: doesn't. If your vision of Yiddishkeit, of halacha, is forced, if your vision
1: of halacha is a kafalein harkegigis vision, then Hashem says, you turn the light on, sham teheik I'm going to bury you under this mountain. If that's your vision of Yiddishkeit, you don't have Yiddishkeit. That's not Yiddishkeit. If you think that Hashem cares to the degree that you're freaking out about it, right, that you're walking around for four decades with that pressure, that intense pressure on top of your head that says, if I turn the light on, I'm dead. If I turn the light on, Hashem rejects me. There's a in har kegigas, forced. I am forced to not turn the light on. If that's the way you walk around with your Yiddishkeit, reject it. That's not the way it's meant to be. You want to understand how halacha works? We'll talk about halacha moment. If you want to understand how halacha works, well, we'll talk about it. That's fine. Does Hashem want you not to turn the light on on Shabbos? Sure. But if you think that your you're godless in Hashem's eyes is t'alui in anything you do or not do, you're making a big mistake. That's the world of Kafale and harkegigas. The world of hader vikiblua. the world of re-receiving the Torah, is the recognition that I'm a baal Bechira. I am a baal Bahira. And to be a Baal Bechira means that Hashem says to me, believe Shalem. This is to me, this is the crux of all of this discussion. Hashem says to me, believe Shalem. I am telling you, do what you want. I want you to do what you want. Do what you want. I'll say it again. Do what you want. You know what I want of you, but I want you to do what you want. I want you to do what you want. If you don't have the capacity to do what you want, you're living the life of Kafalei and Hakkigigas. I don't want you to live a life of Kafalei and Hakigigas. Don't be forced into this religion. Don't be forced. Don't be a person that received the Torah just because I put a mountain over your head. I don't want that. That was then. That's stage one. That's first naivete. The second stage of this is I want you to get to a Dargah where you can re-receive the Torah on your own. That means you're a Balbachira. I want you to be a Baal Bekhira. If you're not a Balbahira, you're not having Purim. You're not really having the fullness, <clears throat> the fullness of Kabbalah Satara. So the answer to this woman is you are 100% correct. Now, we can have a conversation about turning the light on on Shabbos or not. That's a separate conversation. But the intensity that you've been carrying for four years, for four decades, it's wrong. It's wrong. You shouldn't be carrying that intensity for four decades. If you feel like you need to turn the light on in order to break that thing, I'm not being where I had to tell you to break the halacha. I don't know. But does Hashem care to the degree you think He cares? He does not. He doesn't. He doesn't care. He loves you exactly the way you are. You turn the light on. You turn the light off. There's such a thing called tshuva. There's such a thing called figuring it out. No, we don't sin for the sake of doing tshuva. We don't do that. But we do have tshuva for the sake of sinning. The Rebbein Shalom knows you're going to sin. That's why he made tshuva before the world was even created. There's such an Indian of tshuva. To live life in the stage of kafalein Harkagigas means you haven't yet gotten to the fullness of Kabbalah Sater. So does Hashem care? The answer is no, he doesn't. Don't turn the light on in Rafa Shabbos. Don't do that. But don't do that not because of kafalein Harkagigas. Don't do that because you have somehow found a way to recommit yourself to Tyra, in a healthy way, and that's really what I what, what I, I want to give you an example of, of what I see as the difference between following halacha kafaleg and and following a halacha That's what I that's what I I wanna I wanna address. But the basic idea is the recognition that Hashem wants me to become a balvachira. He wants me to be an adult. He wants me to have autonomy. He wants me to have independence. He wants me to have the freedom to choose. If I don't have the freedom to choose, I don't live a life of Simcha. If I don't have the freedom to choose, I can never ever touch my neshama. The Tzvah says that the Iker Simcha is, ha-neshama, the revelation of my soul. When my soul can be revealed in this world, like this, this, this teacher of mine was saying, if, if that individuality is when the image pops up on the wall, of Hashem shining through my soul, and that's expressed on the wall. That image, that image is my individuality. My true individuality is not what my ego is able to conjure up in this world. It's that I'm able to be a filter and channel for Hashem's godless. If my neshama could be expressed in this world, that's the greatest simcha that any of us can have. It's the greatest simcha any of us can have. You can't do that if you live a life under a mountain. Not possible. Because being forced... Into anything means that somewhere, somehow, you're not autonomous. That means you're a slave. The Gemara teaches us, and we'll talk about this maybe as we get closer to Pesach. The Gemara teaches us that we, Hashem said, I took you out of being a slave in Mitzrayim, so you could be a slave to me. And all the farm go wild with this. It cannot mean, being a slave to Mitzrayim cannot mean that you're, you're I'm sorry, being a slave to Hashem cannot be the same thing as being a slave to Mitzrayim. It's not just that Hashem swapped masters. At the beginning, the beginning of Yetzirah Mitzrayim, the beginning of Yetzirah Mitzrayim, Hashem just swapped masters. He just swapped the masters. par is the master, I'm the master. But, to, to, but now that we've been through all the stages of Geula, we've been through Pesach, we've been through Kriya we've been through Matan we've been through Apurim, we have to understand that being a slave to Hashem There's no such thing as slavery to Hashem. There's no such thing. There is no such Indian as slavery to Hashem. The word Eved, the word Eved means that I have the capacity to follow and take direction from Hashem when Hashem wants to show me the direction that my soul can lead me in. So the word Eved doesn't mean to be a slave. It means the capacity to take direction. Anyone that has the capacity to take direction is called an Evan Hashem. But if
0: I'm just forced, that's slavery. That's slavery. That's, that's living under the world of Kafalei and Hakikikas. So let's talk for a minute about the difference between following rules
1: and responsibility. Let's talk about the difference between these two things. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: the only reason why if that it got misunderstood is just like doesn't like um, that's not I'm saying we just because we translate
1: a slave. yeah I think I think I think yes I think for the most part the idea of Hashem, um is just not the language is not fleshed out enough yes yes but certainly 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 um living for a thousand years in Ashkenazic Jewry in Europe under under intense poverty conditions and and being persecuted for a thousand years, culminating with the Holocaust, has left us with a very PTSD understanding of what it means to be an Eben Hashem. When, 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 when you, I think Ben-Gurion wrote this, when he said that he, he, he was in, he was in a, a Russian gulag, he was in the Russian gulag and he uh, was subjected to a solitary confinement for 23 hours a day, and then one day a week, he had a Russian guard would come and spend a few hours with him. They'd give him food and all different kinds of things. And he was talking about, he about the torture, the torture of what it means to go from solitary confinement to sitting across from a guy who was really, really friendly and gave him cigarettes and gave him you know, fine food and all this kind of stuff. It was like that, that whole like throwing off kilter kind of thing. One of the things that he said was brilliant. He said, when a person, when you break a person's psyche all the way down to the level of being in solitary confinement, nobody dreams of freedom in that place. You don't never dream of freedom when you're that abused. You dream of just having one stage of that, of that persecution to be removed from you. You don't dream of freedom in that, in, that, in that place. So my read, my thinking is that after a thousand years of living in, 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 in poverty and persecution, so much of our language, when we talk about being an Eved to Hashem, is wrapped around this idea of life is so terrible, know that there's Hashem, it, it makes you feel a little bit better. It makes you feel a little bit better to know that, that the tsar that the of life is really coming from Hashem. There's a lot of nechama in that when you live in such a deep, dark place. But we, Baruch Hashem, are living in the times of the Iqus and the Meshichu, we are living in, in tremendous luxury. We're not living with the, the kind of persecution that people live through in, you know, 1800 in a back country somewhere in Poland or Siberia. We're not living in that in that in that way. Our spirituality is not about survival of our lives. Our spirituality is much, much more related to the life that we're living today. And we have to we have to take apart the word evid and try to understand what it means. So the word evid, the way I'm translating the word evid is the capacity to take direction, as opposed to being forced. There's a fantastic book written by a psychiatrist named David Hawkins. And the book is called Power Versus Force. And in there, he goes through a lot of, um, not necessarily a lot of what I'm gonna go through here, but but he talks fantastically about the difference between being forced into something and having power that's a, that comes out as a result of something intrinsic. Force is when I'm not really tuned into something, but I'm forcing myself to do it anyway. And power is a much more of an intrinsic flow of energy that comes from how I want to be. I'm putting that on the side. I wanna talk about two things. I wanna talk about the difference between rules versus responsibility. And for me, this is a big avayda, this has been a life's, a life's avayda of trying to work
0: these things through and trying to get to a place of responsibility as opposed to rules. Because in a way, the first stage of Yiddishkeit, the first stage of Matan Torah, of Kafale and
1: Kigigas, is all about rules. Do this, don't do that, do it like this, have faith like this, be like that, in the world of rules, your experience doesn't mean anything. My experience doesn't mean anything. In my bones, on a very cellular level, my life doesn't matter. The rulemaker matters. Whoever the rulemaker is, it could be another human being, it could, be a, it could be a boss. In our case, we're going to talk about Hashem. Hashem matters. I don't matter in the world of rules. In the world of kafale and Harkigigas, I don't matter. My need to fulfill the rules is because the rulemaker told me I must fulfill the rules. And again, on a very cellular level, on a very intrinsic level, my experience of being told to do those rules is so automatic. I am so trained to do those rules that I don't stop to think about it. I just do it. When I get to that stage of, criti- of taking some kind of critical distance, I might ask the question, why do I do that? But in somewhere, somehow, in this world of rules, I am forced to do A, B, and C, because that's what
0: Hashem said. It's all about the objective. It's not about the subjective. The second thing, the second Indian about the difference between kafale and hakagigis and Purim is
1: that everything in rules is a closed system. The closed system goes like this. The relationship between me and Hashem goes like this. Hashem says, lift the cup. I lift the cup, put it down, story's over. That's it. It's a closed system. He commands, I do, I complete.
0: Check goes on the little box, and we move on. Next one. It's a completely closed system. In the world of Purim,
1: in the world of responsibility, which, which we're gonna, which, no, you know what, hang on. I'm not gonna define responsibility yet. So that's a closed system. That's the second, the second piece. So the first one is it's very other-based. It's, it's devoid of human experience. It's very other-based. And the second one is
0: it's a closed system. Maybe as an extension to that, the reality of what
1: I see in front of me the reality of what I'm being told to do. In fact, reality is told to me. I am told what reality is. It is what it is. It is what it is. There is no such thing as process. In the world of Kafale and Harkigigas, there's no such thing as process. In the world of being forced to do something, there's no such thing as process, development. There's no such thing as development. Rabbi Abraham J. Torsky once pointed out that in, uh, in Judaism, we don't have adolescence. We have bar mitzvah, bas mitzvah, finished. We go from being a child to being an adult. There's no adolescence. There's no process, for better or for worse. There's no process in that
0: way. There's no state of becoming. It's just what it is, is. And the last thing, or two more things that I would say about, about, this, about being rules-based is
1: inner deadness, repression, or to say it maybe it's really one thing. I am defined by the limitations and the contours and the externality of what I'm meant to do. I am as good as my capacity to fulfill whatever the rules require me need to fulfill. That's who I am. Essentially, in the world of rules, in the, in the world of kafaleh and harkagigas, my whole life is relegated to my capacity to fulfill the rules. That's it. So maybe I, need, I could spend my entire life learning about what the rules are, learning about what halacha is, finding ways to be mekayim those halachas. If I don't know what the halachas are, I need to research more. I need to have Rabbanim that will tell me what the halachas are. I need to have teachers that will tell me what the halachas are. And I have to develop life skills that allow me to fulfill those halakhas. I need to make enough money. I need to find ways to twist myself into being the kind of person that has the talent and skills to fulfill that which I'm tasked to do.
0: That's the world of rules. That's the world of and hakagigas. Hadar blua, the world of Purim, is the world of responsibility.
1: The world of responsibility, I don't know who, who came up with this first, but that the word responsibility, the, world, the word responsibility means to respond, the ability to respond. Responsibility means the ability to respond. We just started Sefer Vayikra. The entire Sefer Vayikra is called Vayikra, and he called, and he called. The whole thing about Vayikra is about karbanis. so about it's about Lashon Let's put Lashon Hara and Sarasa aside for a minute. It's all about Karbanus. It's all about Hashem, <clears throat> me being able to hear Hashem calling out to me. The entire story of Sefer VaYikra is about personal responsibility. A personal responsibility changes the script from rules, which is external based, to intrinsic based. To intrinsic based, responsibility means discipline motivation, effort, success, fulfillment, all of those things have to do with responsibility. Essentially to respond to something is, I hear that there's something outside that's calling to me and I'm choosing to respond. In the world of rules, I don't respond to anything, I just react. I react, I'm told to do this, I do that, I'm told to do that, I do that. If I don't do that, then I've reacted by simply rejecting. In the world of responsibility, it's a whole different bowl game. It's a whole different story in the world of responsibility. In the world of responsibility, I hear what's being told to me, and then I hear that which is being told to me, that which is being expected of me, I hear that as a call for me to respond. And then I autonomously, I as an individual, I as an adult, filter what is being told to me, what is being expected of me through my mind, through my heart, through my soul.
0: And then I respond. It's my response. It's not what I'm being told to do. I'm an adult, I'm a Baal It's not so much on a cellular level about
1: what has been branded into me. It's more about learning my capacity Responsibility has a lot to do with learning about my capacity, my ability to respond helps me learn what am I capable of. What are my skills? What are my talents? The more that responsibility is given to me, not the better I can fulfill it. No, the more responsibility is given to me, the more I can learn about myself. The more I could learn about. Oh, I never thought I could do that. Never. I, I started doing. Wim Hof's uh, breathing exercises we know this guy Wim Hof is, is this like nutty guy um, and he has these like very insane breathing exercises and it, I, it's, it's insane what I was able to do basically um, he, do, he does this like this like basic breathing meditation and then he does this he, he trains you to breathe in and hold your breath and just when you think that you can't hold your breath anymore he makes you keep going. And then you exhale. And now you haven't breathed. And just when you think that you need to breathe in again, he keeps you going. And you can go for like an insane amount of time. You don't realize the degree to which you can not have breath inside your lungs. And he walks you through it. Like you have enough oxygen in your blood. You're freaking out right now. You think you're about to die. Your face is turning red. You think that you're about to enter panic. You're not. You're going to be okay. Just sit with me. Just go through it. You don't realize your capacities and your skills and your talents unless you were given tasks, unless you were given responsibility. But in the world of responsibility, it's not about, did you do what you were responsible for? Yes, the other people want to know that. But for you, the world of responsibility is, what did I learn about myself today? Oh, wow. I learned that I have the capacity for good or bad. Doesn't make a difference. It's about me. In the world of responsibility, process means everything. Process means everything. In the world of Purim, process means everything. It's all about being in a state of becoming. Am I in a state of
0: becoming, or do I just look around and say, this is what it is? It's about aliveness, being alive inside, and knowing that every breath I take is
1: meaningful because it's a breath that I took. That there's enough oxygen in this room for you to breathe and me to breathe at the same time. It's the same oxygen, but it means something different to me than it does to you. It always bothered me why the Gemara says that, um, where do we learn, where do we learn Haman from in the Torah? The Gemara says, because it says, that we learn it out from the Das. And it always bothered me, like, there's a much better place to learn it out from, the, the mun, right? Haman, right? It says, like, the word Haman a million times. Why isn't Haman learned out from the mun? Because, as we'll see in a few minutes, that the Kafale and Harkigigis style is all Amalek. That Kafale and Harkigigas is all connected to Amalek. The mun, the mun, think about it, the mun was the same... Thing for every human being. It was this. He got the same thing every day, every day, except that what I projected onto the MUN is exactly what the MUN became. Now I'm in the mood for ice cream, it became ice cream. Now I'm in the mood for steak, it became steak. Now I'm in the mood for cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Now I'm in the mood for pork, it's pork. Whatever I desired, that's what the MUN became. That means it's not about this, it's not about the cup. It's about what is my relationship to whatever is being asked of me? What am I bringing to the table? What am I projecting? What are my dreams? What are my fantasies? What are my thoughts? What are my talents? What are my skills? What am I bringing into this? If I'm bringing something into this, then I'm alive. It's about me. It's not about the cup. It's never about the cup. It's about what am I going to do with this, right? Is the cup half empty or is the cup half full? It's a meaningless question. The question is, What's the value of what's in the cup? What am I going to do with what's in the cup? I don't care how big the cup is. I don't care how small the cup is. I don't care how much the cup's filled up. It's irrelevant. The cup's irrelevant to me. What's relevant to me is the contents of the cup. What am I doing with it? What does it mean to me? How can I use it? What do I dream about it? What do I wish it would be? What does my imagination say it is? What's my fantasy for it? That aliveness, that sense of aliveness, which is what got brought out with the Mun, is the antithesis. Of Haman. It's the exact opposite of Haman. In the world of Haman, in the world of Haman, it's all itadas That means eat from all the trees that you want in the in the in the in the in Ganeiden, but don't eat from this one. Haman says, Okay, I want to eat that one. I only want to eat that one. I crave that. I think that that's going to save my life. That's what the Nachash said. The Naqush, the nachash's whole Indian was that's gonna save my life. When you become when any of us become completely obsessed in a compulsive way, with anything, that's all the Koyach of That's the Koyach of The Kofa and Harkigigas way is part, it's part of our avodah. It's we're trained to be that way, but we have to grow into a, 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 a capacity to look back and say, that's not, that's not meant for us. We are not defined by the limitations that we have, we're not defined by the expectations that we're given. We are defined by the content of what we are. And everything we encounter in this world and every person we encounter in this world and every idea we encounter in this world is content to make me more alive, to make me more alive. If it's not enhancing my life, if it's not growing my my autonomy, if it's not expanding my consciousness, if it's not doing that, it's not Purimdik. The whole story of Purim, the whole Indian of Mishnechnes Adar Marben Besimcha, Marben means to expand. The whole Indian of Purim is, the whole story of Simcha is that somewhere, somehow, I am growing. I am more alive. Some of this farm, this farm say that uh, uh, Simcha is a Mida, just like every other Mida, like Kinna and Kas. Simcha is the hardest Midah to work on, and it's the most important Midah to work on. The most important midah to work—it's a midah. It's not just a, a toitzah that comes out of something. Simcha really boils down to: Am I living my life? Am I authentic? Am I autonomous? Am I independent? Am I doing me? If I'm doing me, I'm I'm besimcha. It's not about feeling good. It's not about doing good. It's about feeling whole. About feeling integrated. About feeling alive. When those things are happening, that's called simcha. When those things are not happening, that's not called something. When I'm living my life in relation to the Torah as I'm expanding and my understanding of Hashem is expanding and all of the Torah and mitzvahs that have been placed upon me is giving me more responsibility. That means more capacity, more capacity to learn about myself, more capacity to take direction in the right way. Then I'm living my life Then I'm doing me.
0: Then I'm a Baal D'chira. And if I'm a bal I can choose to receive the Torah the way that it works for me. Okay, I'm going to take questions in a, in afterwards unless you don't understand something that I'm saying. Yeah? Okay. Last piece. We're going to go into Rav Kook. Rav Kook
1: in Shemayne Klatzim in kovets <laughs> vov
0: Ois Reish Aleph. Rav Kook says, "A machsik bahateva. b'hateva." A holds on to nature. And yes,
1: the radical the radical comment that I'm making is I'm connecting life under the in harkagigas. So I'm all like, yes, that's what I, that's essentially what I'm doing. The whole Indian of Tarishabal Peh, which is what the what the story of Purim begins, the whole story of Tarashabal Peh is the story of now it's now it's man's time. Tarashabhsab is Hashem writing. Peh is now it's man's time to speak it out, to talk it out, to try to flesh it out, to get it, to understand it. It's about growing up. I, I need to grow up. A molek machzik Bahateva. A molek grabs hold of, this is the way it is, right? In the world of rules. It's the way it is. The way it is. Teva, this is nature. This is my nature. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is how how it is. This is how life is. Just learn how to live with it. Carl Jung said that everyone was born with shoes that, that are too small. Everyone is born with shoes that are too small. That means your shoes don't fit. Now, you could live two ways. You can live three ways. You can either deny that the, your shoe doesn't fit, that's one way. You can live your whole life with your foot trying to expand into shoes that that don't that, that don't give you any room to grow, in which case you're going to your foot's gonna get all swollen and sick and 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 bloated and cracked and bloody and pussy and disgusting. And the third way is you can get new shoes. Now, the difference between these three ways is if you deny the whole thing or if you, if you don't believe you can change your shoes, in both of those stories, your foot's only going to grow as big as it actually can. And it's going to be as sick as it gets because it's, it's being scrunched up like that. But if you know how to change your shoes, then in a year from now, your shoes will be too small again. Now, not everyone wants to have very large feet, but the idea is, is that your, your feet can keep growing. And if you can keep outgrowing your shoes. You can keep outgrowing your clothing. That means you can keep outgrowing your consciousness if you choose, if you choose to do the dangerous wild thing of constantly being involved in a hundred b'ki, you can. If you want to have Purim and grow all the time, you can. But if you don't, and you only want to live under a Kafale and Hakigigas, your shoes will be too tight. A Machsik Teva of Kook says, "Amolik holds on to the Teva, to nature. The Icar... Why? Why does Amalek do that? He does this because he loves inertia. He loves the evil that comes out of having all kinds of things growing inside of teva. Shamrei means like when things get like a yeast infection, like like things that are like just not working well because there isn't enough air for things to grow. The ra that comes out of a teva that's too small. And Amalek is connected to that. Amalek cannot tolerate having Nisim in this world, cannot tolerate having miracles in this world. This to me is the entirety of the entire story of A Amalek does not tolerate the capacity for anyone to change. A mulik does not tolerate the capacity for anyone to change their personality, their character traits, their situation in life, their consciousness. A Moloch does not tolerate that. That's what Rav Kook in, in a way is calling Nisan. Miracles, miracles is the the capacity to change your shoes. <speaking in Spanish> a Moloch cannot tolerate Miracles in this world, and he cannot tolerate the capacity that humans have to change. The antithesis of this, the opposite of this, Yisrael was created in order to score, to cut out, to excavate the walls of nature. That's what Chal Yisrael was created for. Chal Yisrael was created to look at the the the, the un, look up at the mountain underneath it see the mountain on top of our heads and score out the entirety of that mountain until it's completely hollow and break through the mountain. Um, There's a beautiful imagery here. Um, And the reality of miracles, create windows in nature. In a way that nature is not Cut off from, does not reject the light of, of godliness. We create miracles, create windows in nature, these little holes that light can seep in from. That, right, the, just that imagery of individuality being Hashem's light filtered through my soul. If I have windows within my personality, that Hashem's light can hit my soul and my soul can be expressed. That means the essence of who I am. If I'm open enough and I believe enough and, and have the aliveness enough within me to be, open myself up and to allow Hashem to shine through me, that's called a miracle. The existence of miracles create windows in nature. In a way in which we are not rejecting and not cut off from the light of Hashem. And Since miracles
0: have occurred in this world, by removing Teva, since we've
1: experienced Nisim, where Teva has been removed, in that way, because miracles have already existed, miracles have already happened, each and every one of us in our own lives in some way have taken off that shoe We've some in some way grown up in some way, matured in some way. We've become larger than who we were when we were children. Because that nace has happened, already automatically teva starts to change. Teva be- has begun the sweetening process. He says, in the future, in the future, nature will not, be, will not be cut off or closed off at all from the light of Hashem because nature will be completely lit up and shining brightly, being permeated completely with the aura of Hashem. And the same is true that the nature of us as human beings, this is that sense of individuality. Our nature, our personality, our character traits, our impulses, all the icky things about us, up to the most transcendent things about us will will not be cut off in any way shape or form from kedusha from holiness and from the sweetness of hashem for at that time when mashiach comes shun there won't be any need for death not just death on a on a biological level but deadness there's no need for deadness when i when i can when i when I'm alive enough to experience miracles, when I'm alive enough to be open, to experience my capacity to change, to grow, to have a Purim, to have a, a capacity of Hadar V'Kiblua, of re-examining and rematuring and growing and rejecting the Kafalein Harkigigas of last year so that this year I could become something more. I can experience more of Hashem. I can expand my consciousness. Then I'm not dead. We will come to a new world that is filled with life. He quotes a pasuk from Yeshaya: "Kal b'Tzion b'Yerushalayim Whoever remains in Tzion and those remnants that are left in Yerushalayim at the end of time, kadosh we will call them kadosh. Kal akasav lechayim
0: The whole story of Purim, the whole story of Simcha, is learning in a way that what was rukhni for me last year might be a Malik for me this year.
1: It's a scary, it's a scary concept. What was, ruch, what was Ruchani for me last year might be a Malik for me this year. Now you have to have a tremendous amount of self-awareness and you also need guides and mentors and people to talk to, things to read, and you have to be careful with what we're talking about. But it is definitely possible That last year's kedusha is this year's Amalek. That's the story of what this Gemara means. That there was a moment in my life when I accepted the Torah, and now the Torah is suffocating me. And I must find a way to have a Purim. The whole story of Purim is not to reject God, Chas Shalom. We're not talking about rejecting God or rejecting Torah mitzvahs. We're talking about rejecting force. We're talking about rejecting force, having freedom from being forced by the rules. The rules are not meant to force me. The rules are there to guide me. And if I'm experiencing them as force, I have to re-examine. I have to get to a state where I can have a hundred Viki blua, a reacceptance, a recommitment, and understand that the entire purpose of Taira is to help me become more of a responsible human being. Responsibility means I hear a voice calling to me. I feel a calling. If I'm not alive enough to feel cold, I'm not responsible. I'm, I'm, I'm just living life as rules. To be a responsible person means I have the ability to hear the calling. Vayikra Hashem el Hashem El-Yitzi, fill in the blank. I hear Hashem calling and I'm responding. I'm not reacting, I'm responding. I'm taking everything I know about myself and I'm finding a way to respond. I'm responding to you because I'm alive. And the more that I, I know, the more I know about you and the more I know about myself and the more I go through life experiencing life and learning to reflect on the things that go on in life. And the more I'm in constant contact with Hashem saying, who are you? I am a kind where are you? What's going on with like, I don't know. Where, where are you? And I can say the same thing for myself. Where am I? What's happening with me? What's going on with me? When I'm living in that state of openness, then I'm able to experience a constant growth. I'm able to experience an expansion of my foot in that shoe, and then the shoe hurts, and then I have to take it off and buy a new pair and expand and expand and expand and expand. My bracha to all of us is that we, we are able to enter this experience of Simcha, not just on this Purim, but as the song goes, A Gan to live in a state of Purim all the time. To live in a state of Purim all the time. You know, the highest point, and I've said this to you guys before, the highest point of Yom Kippur Davening is when the Koyang comes out of the Kredash and everyone everyone just looks and sees. It's, it's a beautiful image. Everyone looks and sees. When they, when they all looked at the Koyang everyone saw within the, within the Koyang contained in the Koyang the idealism of themselves. When I look at the Qayin Gadol on Yom Kippur, after it comes out of the Qayin Shkudashim, I see an image of who I I really am and who I really can be. It's not about the Qayin Gadol. The Qayin Gadol is a vehicle for every human being. He represents every human being. That's the story of Purim. That's why Yom Kippurim is Kippurim. Because Purim is the day that we re-receive the Torah. We have a whole second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a 42nd chance, and a 68th chance. A constant re-examining, a re-experiencing, a recommitment, a recreation, not of the old, of the new, of rejecting the kafalein and Har Kigigis, rejecting the amalek that can only see the limitations of nature, can only see the limitations of, of how the shoe hurts, can only see the limitations of the situation around them, can only see the limitations that others put on them can only see the limitations of the rules. I brought it to all of us is that we, we expand and we grow and we become bigger and we never ever reject anything about ourselves. And daven fully, as the mission P'rk'eva says that Ritzayne, ritzayneinu lases It's not about doing your will. It's about finding a way that my ratzon and Hashem's ratzon can become equal. Because it's only through being a Baldahira, it's only through having a rat zone and knowing what my rat zone is that
0: I have the capacity for true freedom and for true Sinkal. Afrei al